Well, good morning, everybody. There's a lot of things that are different about being outside, so we'll see how this works or if it works. Uh, and if it doesn't, we'll, we'll try to be flexible. Um, this morning, yeah, just welcome to everybody that's here. Um, and I invite you um, to actively listen this morning and uh, consider what I'm saying, consider what the Word of God is saying. And um, this is one of those times I wish we were inside and could actually have a discussion afterwards so, so that we could discuss some of the things I'm talking about. Um, just to see um, whether you think it's accurate or not, or, or what element um, you would want to talk about a little bit more. So often when I preach, I feel uh, very led to be what I would say textually driven and let the text create the outline. And I feel like as a pastor, that's one of the things that I'm called to do. And for whatever reason, this week, that is not what I felt led to do. So this one is a little bit different for me. Um, one of the things that's interesting is it goes very much with the theme of what has been shared so far. And that is, I feel a little bit uh, more like if we were huddling up as a family and just talking about what is going on in the world today, how do we understand it, how do we respond to it, uh, and some of those kinds of things, and just recognizing that we are living in a very strange time, or at least times that none of us have been through. Um, and so this morning, I want to do a little bit more of that. And, and so if you like outlines, I'm going to just talk a little bit about where we're at. I'm going to talk about some of the dangers that I see. And in the end, I want to talk about just the encouragement and the surety of what I believe that God will do in it. Um, but, and again, often, often sermons have one point, and I will warn you ahead of time, we're, we're going to pull into this little overlook and then we're going to stop in that little overlook. And I recognize that not everybody will connect with every one of the stops that we make. Um, but for whatever reason, as a pastor, I feel led to share what's on my heart. And I hope and pray that God is directing that and that it um, connects with where you are. So I would, uh, I do want to read Psalm 1 and kind of, I guess, as an overview of where we're at. So um, if you have, you're free, um, free to help recite it. I'm going to read it out of King James. If you've got it in King James, go ahead and read it with me out loud. Um, but I do want to read Psalm 1 um, and then talk about uh, some of the other things that I outline. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you. So, like I said, I want to just recognize the time that we're living in. And yes, I am largely referring to the, the coronavirus, but there's things far beyond that that are happening in the world today. And I guess the one thing I'd like you to consider, as you, as you consider the world and what's happening what are some feelings that you have as you think about um, what's going on in the world? And if you're brave enough, you can just shout them out to me. 
you look around the world, what's happening, what, what are the feelings that you face? And there are probably many. Maybe I should read a few and just take a poll. <laughs> anybody anybody want to share? And I'll share some that I deal with. Sadness. There's a lot that's just not right. Uncertainty. Discouragement. Frustration. Fear. Did somebody say something over here? Anger. Thank you. You know what's interesting? The list that you just gave me is the list that I wrote down. <laughs> Anybody have something that came to mind that you didn't mention? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she's saying it can't be much longer before Jesus comes back. Tammy. Tammy is saying she feels thankfulness that she has the word and she knows the Lord. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and like I said, that is exactly what you just articulated is the things as I reflect on the last year. Those are the feelings that I have. And I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about some of the things that you know, that can concern us. And I, here I recognize the things that I'm going to say, some will be the same and some will be very different. Um, so, so we talked about what we feel, and I'd like to just have us think about some of the things that concern us, you know, why we're feeling that way. And, and I'm not asking that you answer this out loud, but these are very, you know, they can be very personal things in, you know, things I'm dealing with with my children or where am I going to live or where's the paycheck coming from to very you know big things of what's happening in the world what's happening in the US the virus all of those things so what are the things that that concern you I just want to give you a minute and if you have paper you can jot down just a couple of them what are the things that concern you Alvin Thank you, Alvin. Alvin's saying in uncertain times, he wants to make sure that he's faithful. Yep. Okay, so thank you for, for thinking about the things that concern you. And I, one of the things I also want to say up front is I recognize that these are unsettled times for us. Historically, people have lived through similar circumstances, and I don't ever want to lose sight of that. Um, but I want to just talk a little bit about some of the, the bigger picture things that I think are happening that cause some of these feelings um, for us. So obviously there's, there's the coronavirus and, and the fear of it itself. You know, how, where does it stop? We know, people who, we know people who have passed away. We know people who have been sick with it. Um, so we have the uncertainty of the virus. Has anybody ever been through a time of life where so many things got canceled that you were planning to do? I, I mean, you just... You just clear your schedule because you're not doing that. You're not doing that. Um, so that you know that's one element of it. Um, then we you know we deal with uh, with things like the government regulating things that we're not used to. We have to decide: do we wear a mask or not, and when, and where, and how. And there's probably a lot of different opinions about 
whether we should or shouldn't wear masks. There's restrictions. Do people respond in different ways when they feel like their rights are getting in, uh, infringed on? I know in my life that sets off all kinds of things, and you can look around, and uh, that's happening. And even how to think about the virus itself. You have anybody, any, anything from the viewpoint that this whole thing is a hoax to, you know, it's real and we're not doing enough to, you know, yes, it's kind of real, but people are using it for things that it shouldn't. How in the world do you know how to walk in that? And, and there's very loud voices here and here and here, 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 and here, and here, here, everywhere along the way of how to look at it. Another thing I think about is that um, isolation and loneliness is real. Um, and I think about particularly the older set here that you know, we, we try to do things largely because we want to protect the older set. But do you know who's probably the most prone to get lonely and to get tired of being at home? Most likely you know, the older set of folks here. So we're dealing with, um, dealing with that. Or maybe your income got changed in all of this. So those are some of the things that we're dealing with on the virus um, by itself. And I hope that you're not depressed by the time we're done talking about this. <laughs> um, I will mention politics, but you can breathe out because I'm not going to stay here very long. In the political um, uh, scene right now, I don't know that I've ever seen it more combative. Just literally combative and what I would call chaotic. And so that does also create, um, does create feelings in us. I want to talk a little bit just about culture in general beyond the virus. Um, you had George Floyd's death that set off and highlighted racial issues and tensions in the country um, in ways that I don't know have ever happened before, at least in my lifetime now. Simon and, and others can probably walk me through history further back. But you had, um, you had an event that set off, you know, how do police relate to people? And it triggered that almost all, and it's not all, but almost all people of color will share that, you know what, yeah, I do face, I do face that. Um, I think literally almost every person of color that I've talked to, with the exception of maybe one neighbor, says, yeah, you know what, that happens. Um, so that happens, and then how do Christians respond? And then out of that, you have, you've got rioting going on. Even last night, you've got buildings being either burned or looted. And so you've got a legitimate issue and then reactions that are wrong and, and it turns into rioting and defunding the police. So we're, how do we relate to that as believers? What do we do? Um, and I want to just think a little bit about you know, the news or culture in general. Um, for some reason, the city of Chicago gets my attention. And I don't know if you follow what's happening there. There's just a huge uptick in violence. There were 106 people shot in Chicago last week. Last week, 106 shootings. Now, not everybody died. But that is mind-boggling. That that's, that's literally today. That's a big city in the U.S., and there are 100 shootings um, in a day. I mean, in a week, sorry. I will share um, a couple of other news stories. And again, I want you to hear me on this. I'm not trying to like paint this as this sin is worse than any other sin or, or trying to get us to be scared, but I want us just to recognize 
this is what's going on in culture, and this is probably why we're feeling some of the things we're feeling. So one of the articles that I read um, this week that, that just made me sad in a way, there's a, la- um, well, a lady, there's a girl named Billie Eilish. Um, she's 18. She is probably one of the most popular and influential musicians um, right now. She, at the Grammys, she won the Best New Artist, the Record of the Year, the Song of the Year, and the Album of the Year at 18 years old. And what's interesting is it's her and her brother that basically write these songs and record them in their bedroom. And um, she writes very openly about depression and suicide and, and climate change are kind of her things that she writes about. But anyway, here's the, here's the part that just made me sad. On an interview, she just said, I don't know if any of you know, I don't think I've ever talked about it, but when I was little, when I was a little kid, I was super religious for no, for no reason. And you have to edit out the adjectives that she uses here. My family was never religious, and I didn't know anyone that was really religious. And for some reason, as a little girl, I was just incredibly religious. I don't, I, and then at one point, I don't know what happened. It just completely went away. Now she said, I've loved the ideas of other beliefs. Anyway, I just want to stop there a little bit. So you have a little girl who's not even exposed to the gospel that's saying she just felt religious. And as I look at her life, I feel like God was, was revealing himself to her in some way. And I don't understand God and all of this, um, but I just go, what if? You know, what if there was a believer there that could have invested in her and helped her understand what she was feeling and why? So she goes on to say, I've loved the idea of other beliefs, and I think people with closed minds, people like me from a couple years ago, I think that's very pathetic to have a closed mind. It is very lame. I don't not believe, and I don't do believe. I'm in a very neutral position. I'm open to every belief pretty much. The idea that there's a God, why not? How would I know? I'm not going to say I know. I don't. Nobody knows. And just the thing I want us to catch in this is that she's giving voice to what a lot of people would believe. That, um, you know, I don't know for sure, but if you say you know, you've got a closed mind and you're kind of pathetic for thinking that. So again, I don't, don't hear me as, I'm not trying to, to paint her as worse than any other sin. Um, but I read that story and it just makes me really sad. Here's one more. Uh, and then it's about time to, lo- to move on from what's happening. So um, a city in Massachusetts, well, I'll just read this. A town in Massachusetts may be the first in the nation to recognize polyamorous uh, domestic partnerships. So that is essentially um, polygamy or saying that a love relationship doesn't need to be two people. Polyamory means many loves and stands for the growing movement to legitimize and legalize polygamy and other multi-partner marriages. In an episode of HGTV's popular show, House Hunters, they featured a thruple, which is a three-person couple, looking for a new home. And they go on to say that um, even Princeton is starting an awareness group um, for the idea that defining love as two people is too narrow. And the council member goes on to say, the one that pushed for this said, I've consistently felt that when society and the government tries to define what is is or is not a family, we've historically done a very poor job of doing so. It hasn't gone well, and it's not a business that the government should be in. Ironically, 
he just got into that business by, you know, by defining it, that it can be beyond two. Um, so that's just a, a little snapshot of what's happening in culture. And I guess, does it make sense when you look at that, why you feel some of the things that you articulated at the start? Some of the, the emotions that we have. Um, I will just talk just very briefly about in the, you know, in the Christian culture what's happening. There's a lot of fear that our Christian freedoms are being eroded. Does anybody relate to that? That, that freedoms might be being um, eroded, and that's probably true. I'll tell you one more, one more quick story, and then I'm done. And this, um, this is another one that affected me this week. And I don't, I don't know this man personally. Don't hear me saying that. Um, years ago, he managed a store um, that I worked with him um, at a Choice Books level, and he, they sold Choice Books there. It was a Christian coffee shop where they would have, um, they would have concerts. And so I worked with this guy just a little bit to know him. He then moved and became an editor of a magazine. He became an author. He went to um, Nashville. He wrote, um, wrote kids' books. His name is Matthew Paul Turner. And anyway, he, um, this week he, he announced that he is leaving his wife and his children. Um, they're deciding together to end their family because um, he is homosexual now and he wants to leave the family. And the statement that he made uh, that just kind of rocked me is he said, I can say with confidence that I am ready to embrace freedom, hope, and God as a gay man. So the, the approach is that I'm ready to move on and I want to embrace God in this reality. And again, in sharing these things, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that this sin or any sin is any worse than any sin that you or I um, find freedom in. But I'm just highlighting that this is the the church culture, as it were, that we are existing in, where somebody can leave and say, I'm doing this to, to pursue freedom and God um, while, while leaving their family. So, thank you for listening to, to all of that. So those are some of the things that were, were on my mind. And I guess as I think about all of that, um, what I want us to think about this morning um, is, is pretty simple. There's as I see it, there are three things that I think Satan would like to have happen out of this. And then I want to end with what God, I believe God will be faithful to do. So as we look at these things, um, I'm just going to draw just a big circle here. Um, and I'm going to say that we, this circle here in the middle represents us and the things that concern us, I, there's just, there's a lot of them, right? And they're, they're out here. There's just a lot of things that that concern us out here. So I'm going to say that this is us. And, and if we're really honest, the things that concern us, how many of those things do you have direct control over? How many of the things that concern you do you have literally direct control over them? And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to say that this morning it's probably zero or very, very close to zero. And say the only thing that I can control, and I'm going to say that this little dot or this circle right here is me. And, and out of the things that concern me, I think one of the things I have to come to terms with is that I'm really only responsible, well, largely only responsible for me. Now I would say that God, I'm going to draw another circle here. 
and say that this circle represents the areas of things I can't even control the train, right? This, this, uh, the second circle, I would say, represents the things that we can influence, but we can't control. So we, God does gift us with an area of influence, but even there, we literally can't control the things. So God has gifted me you know, with a family. I can influence my family. I cannot control my family. We can't control other people. So one of the things that I, I do believe that Satan tries to get us to do when we face these situations is to get us to try to carry or to feel like we're carrying all of these things that we literally can't control. And there's a huge difference for me in the things that I care deeply about and the things that I'm actually called to do something about, if that makes sense. So. We care about this whole circle out here. We care deeply about it. We care about the people. We care about how it impacts us. But we are called to primarily focus on our, ourselves and our relationship with God and this area of influence that God has given us. And so when Satan, if Satan can get us to try to carry all these things, we're either going to become very afraid, very discouraged, or very burned out um, because we're not meant to carry those things. So... I would just encourage us, you know what, the, the list of things that we are very concerned about is long, and we are called to just to somehow give them to God and to let, him, to let him carry them. He talks about casting our cares on him and, and just giving them, giving them over to God. Um, so the one, that's the one thing that I see in my life uh, that Satan tries to get me to do is to get me to feel like I'm actually carrying these things. And one thing I want to recognize is when you look around, um, discouragement and fear is very natural. And I deal with fear. And does it ever help? Well, let's just let's use children as an example. So let's say that uh, one of my, my children is scared at night. If I go over there and just say, guys, you should not be scared and walk out of the room, have I actually helped them at all? I, my point is we can know that we're not supposed to be scared, but somehow that doesn't help us not be scared. And, and as I look at it in my life and in the lives of others, I think it literally somehow only comes back to the love of God pushing fear out. And I would point to 1 John there. That is the only thing I think that drives away our fear. And um, so let's, uh, let's walk with each other in fear and discouragement and feeling overwhelmed and and we may need help to, to give that over to God. Okay, so that's one thing, trying to carry my concerns. The other thing that I see happening, or that I think we need to be aware of, is that Satan will do anything to try to get us to move away from God. So because of all of this stuff out here, he's going to try to do anything to get us to move away from God. One of the things that I, that's a concern for me, honestly, is I feel like it's harder than ever to know the truth about something. Even when you genuinely want to know the truth, do you, does anybody else try to dig into something and, like, and it's just hard to know what, what is true. And I think that, you know, I think some of that is just, you know, what I talked about before. We, we live in a world now, um, and I, I'm not knocking the internet, it's not evil, but the internet has given everybody a voice on every topic. 
And so you try to dig into something, and it's louder than ever. Um, this is true. This is true. This is true. And I would, um, the example I would use of our culture, it's kind of like the church basement uh, on a, after a fellowship or during a fellowship meal. Do you ever notice you're down there talking, and the volume kind of goes up and up and up in the basement? And you have two options, right? You can either talk louder and louder to try to get noticed, or you can just say, I'm just going to go quiet. Um, and I think that just culturally, that's a little bit what's happening. It gets louder and louder, and you either feel like you have to, to get really loud or, or go quiet. So God, um, Satan is trying to move us um, away from God. He's trying to do anything that he can do to get us to look at these, look at these things that concern us. And if he can get Christians to pick one of the world's solutions rather than the gospel, he's won. So Satan is going to get us to look at what's happening and pick anything but the gospel. So if he can suck us into a, a political answer, then we're just wasting our time and wasting our energy. Um, so that, that's one of the, the tactics, I think, that, um, that Satan uses. Um, one of the verses that I go back to a lot is in the gospel, Jesus says, in the last days, lawlessness will go up and the love will go down. Basically, he says, the love of many will wax cold. And so... I do, you know, coming back to this, I believe that my primary issue is to love God and to not allow the love of God to go down. Um, and then out of that, God can guide area of, of influence and those kinds of things. Um, but Satan will try to get that um, to go away. In thinking about how Satan works, um, we know that he would love to take somebody who's walking with God and just in a day's time or a moment's time take that person and boom, move him completely away from God. That would be Satan's goal, right? But that often doesn't work. And sadly, Satan is extremely patient. And he's okay watching this thing unfold like an inch at a time. And to him, he's glad with that. If, if the movement away from God is an inch, at, an inch at a time over three years, sadly, he'll sit there and continue to do that. And so I think that's something that we have to, to guard against in all of this. Another thing um, that I see in all of this is that Christians are going to be very tempted to try to take the gospel and truth and move it over to, lie, to be okay in culture. So Christians are going to be extremely tempted to move truth. And one of the things that I heard this week that I've been thinking a lot about is that God's kingdom and God's truth Think about it that it's set. It never changes. It does, not, it does not move in the sense of it doesn't change. It moves in the sense of that it grows because more people are saying, you're right and being transformed. But God's kingdom does not, does not change. And if people and churches change, it's because that we're lining up with the gospel or we're inching away from God. So the gospel should be changing us, but we are never called to change truth or to change the gospel. Um, so um, just again, Satan may try to get me to try to carry the concerns or try to move me away from God. And the last thing that I see that we need to guard against is that he may try to get us to retreat from sharing the gospel and from holding the gospel. Um, yeah, you look around, and so it's very natural to think, okay, why would I try to be out here sharing the gospel in this culture? 
And anything that Satan can do to, to try to get us to be quiet, um, I think he will do. I, in thinking about this, I was thinking about how Jesus got um, his disciples ready to spread the gospel. I think today we would probably, or at least I would be tempted to say, all right, guys, look, we are gonna go, we're going to go in isolation for six months, and we're going to learn all that we can so that you are ready to now carry the gospel when Jesus leaves. And the only time Jesus retreated was for prayer and to be refreshed. But he basically said, all right, guys, come. Like, we're going to go out. We're going to engage with culture. We're going to be in and out of people's homes. And they offered the gospel day to day, just walking together. Um, and so I, wanna, I do want to encourage us that I think often we feel very under-equipped, and understandably so, to share the gospel. But I think that, I think that the growth and the equipment, equipping actually happens as we do it, probably not as we get ready to go do it. Um, I do want to share, um, and I found this very fascinating um, for you to think about and to consider. So there's a book by Richard, I think it's Nyberg. Uh, called Christ and Culture, and he basically looked at the church and the history of the church and said there's five ways that the church has always chosen to respond to culture. Basically five responses. So I'd like you to hear what they are, and let's consider where we're at. So the first one is to retreat from engagement. And the church has tried this, where the culture is sinful, so the church pulls back. The second one is the church tries to adopt to always be um, palatable to the culture. So the church is going to shift. So you can retreat, you can shift. Another approach is the church has tried to have a sacred and secular divide that I go to church on Sunday, I'm a Christian, I worship God. When I leave church, then I largely live the way the world does. And then that, that is one way of dealing with pressure and, and persecution is to keep it, keep it isolated. There's a fourth option is where the church goes in and engages culture just as much as we have to to try to share the gospel and then pulls back out of it, if that makes sense. And then the fifth way is that the church has seen Christ as the answer to change lives, to change the gospel, and the church has moved towards culture and just tried to be in the world but not of it and tried to change what we see around us. And I think we could probably relate to feeling like doing all five of these, but I, what I want to say is that when I look at Scripture and Jesus, I don't see any alternative other than the last. I think he is very clear that the gospel is meant to change every part of every heart and every life. And as, as hostile as the world is, we are called to move towards it and to engage it. Um, and I think... I see it in me, and I think one of the scary things about what we're living is that if, if, if Satan can get us just to, all right, like, let's pull back. Maybe one of the other four ways works. Like, you know, we've, we've lost. Um, and so let's not, uh, let's not let that happen. All right. Um, so I've talked about where we're at and uh, the warnings that I see. And I want to just... I guess end by um, encouraging us with a couple of things out of Scripture in Psalm 1. The reason I read that um, is I want us to notice that it does not matter what is going on around us. If we are, um, if we have new life in Christ and we are um, seeking to live according to his word, 
the description that he talks about a man who is willing to find delight in the law of the Lord and to live that way. Um, we are described as a tree that is firmly planted. And I find great hope in that, that it, to some degree it doesn't matter all of the stuff that we have talked about. In Christ, our roots are very, very firm. And if we're drawing on the word of God, we're not going to be moved. You know, Satan will not be able to do that inch at a time strategy. So it says we're going to be firmly planted. And I find great hope that we're going to yield fruit in season. And so I just want to encourage us, dig into the Lord, dig into his word, and somehow we will, it will bear fruit. He tells us whatever we do will prosper. We could talk a long time about what that means, but it does mean that our, um, that our, our, our life will speed forth and it will prosper when we're living according to his word. And then he ends the psalm by saying that, that God knows the way of the righteous. He knows all of these things um, that we're facing. I also want you to consider Psalm 51, um, verse 6, when it comes to, you know, how do we stand and, and stand firm with all that Satan is trying to throw at us. Psalm 51 is David confessing his sin. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I want you just to notice verse 6. He said, Behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So in all of this, God wants us to be on a mission to know the truth, and he will reveal the truth to us, even if it's harder to hear today. God will reveal his truth to us. And I, for some reason, never noticed the end of verse 6 is a promise from God that in the hidden part, so somewhere in our heart, as we confess and seek him, it says, you will make me know wisdom. And so you can find courage today that God himself will reveal wisdom of what it takes to live in this time um, and where we're at. So I find great hope in God's word and uh, the work that he's doing in each of us. Another thing that I find great hope in is God's personal care for you. And we... Um, we won't get into all of this today. I'll, we're mixing, we're mixing uh, metaphors here, but anyway. So I'm going to draw a dotted line here around us. And I would say that that line for Christians represents the church and other believers, our community, to where, to where we aren't alone. Um, and I would, we're not going to read it, but I would invite you to look at Ephesians 4, 9 through 16, that God very clearly says he puts believers in a body and then he gifts the body so that each of us can speak the truth of God to each other. And the promises he makes when, that is, when, when we as a church are living that out is we're going to grow into maturity. There's going to be unity in the faith um, and that the body will grow, will grow up. So we have the promise of God's word and his care for you inside of the church. And, and beyond that, just... I want to encourage you that God's care for you is so personal that he does know what you need and he will meet you in this time. That God's care does come both in the body but in a very personal way God, um, God cares and will build you up. Um, the other thing that I also find great comfort in this, so I, I had pointed out that really the only thing I can control is me and even that is not entirely a true statement. I need God's help to control me. Um, but 
if you look at all of the concerns and all that's going on, one of the things I want to ask is, is any of this outside of God's realm of care, influence, and control? Literally anything that we're talking about. And it's not. So there's actually a great amount of freedom and peace in realizing I have very little control, but there's nothing I'm worried about that's outside of God's control. And so I think we can live, um, live in that confidence and that, um, that encouragement. And then um, also just related to what I was sharing about being called to share the gospel. If you think about the Great Commission, Jesus said at the end, right before he leaves, he says that all authority, all power is given to me. And then he says to go and make disciples. So God literally has all power. And when he asks us to share that, um, we're doing that in um, in his power. All right, uh, Nicole referenced the song "Is He Worthy?" I wish we knew it. I would love to end that way. The song, the song basically recognizes: you know, Is the world broken? It is. Do we? Are there things to be concerned about? Yes. But is God worthy? Yes. And will God make all things right? Yes. And uh, it's just a call to worship. So, anyway, we don't know it, so we won't try to sing it. But um, thought that was a good, just a good fitting for um, reminder at the end that to focus on God and his worthiness um, and who he is. Thank you for listening. I recognize that I went a lot of different places. I don't, um, and I'm very open to hearing from you if there are things that did not strike you as true. Um, I want to hear about that because I was saying a lot of things that I've been processing uh, lately. So invite you invite your feedback on that. Um, thank you, Dave. I'll turn it over to you.